Welcome to another installment of Unraveling Religion. I'm your host, Joel Lessies, and I'm here with a returning guest and uh, a good friend, I would call her, uh, Reverend Mary Masters of Unity Church. How are you today, Mary? Good, good. And very glad to be here with you, Joel. I'm so glad to have you. And yeah. as I w we spoke for a moment prior to the show about uh, what, what, what's this going to be about today? And uh, I was just expressing to Mary my heartfelt gratitude and appreciation of her understanding of Christianity from our last talk. Both the, the metaphysical, esoteric, or mystical element combined with the practical element blended in a moderate way. And uh, does that summarize things accurately or maybe not, Mary? I don't know. Gosh. Um well, I was really enjoying just hearing you talk about it. You know, sometimes being in unity and being the minister here, I am sort of so, so immersed in it, and it's wonderful to hear your perspective. You know, I do think we very much are about an experience of God. Yeah. It's not just about talking about God, but having an experience of it, which is the mystical and the spiritual aspect of it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we are, I think, Someone is a culturally Christian, but but um, you know we believe there's one God and many paths to knowing God, sure. and and honoring each individual's right to choose their path, to find their path, to let it find them. And whether you use the word God or not doesn't matter to me. You know, it's, it doesn't change what it, doesn't, it is. Does you know, we're still does talking it? about the same energy and the same presence? Yeah. yeah. The same omniscience. Yeah. 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 Terrific. So. so yeah, the Zen Master Dogen, <coughs> who I'm a big fan of, the Zen Master Dogen was, um, I think he brought, uh, he brought Buddhism from, uh, I think, uh, China to Japan. He was the transmitter of Zen Buddhism from, uh, yeah, China to Japan. Mm -hmm. And in there, he said a couple of different things. He said, there are many languages but one tongue. Mm -hmm which is exactly your yeah. expression and yeah. understanding. Yeah. And uh, the other is that he used to be at a, uh, 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 he used to be a student at a temple. And uh, he studied there for a long time. And one of his disciples, Shinru Suzuki, who wrote Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, uh, at this temple uh, many, many centuries later, uh, had in the book Zen Mind Beginner's Mind talks about how when he was in the monastery he could not understand that there was anything special about it. Yet when he went away and came back he saw tears pouring down people's faces when they saw the monks in their activity carrying out these common everyday activities. And I'm just wondering what you think about that. Hmm. Hmm. Wow, well that that's a beautiful story, and um, you know what came to mind to me as you were sharing that is our Unity headquarters is Unity Village outside of Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, it is. I didn't. And know. Uh, I suppose it's the closest thing to uh, well, you know, sort of like it's our mecca. <laughs> you know, it's where Unity was founded, and it is our world headquarters, and. And it is a very sacred place. Oh, and it sounds beautiful like it. buildings and campus and 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 you know, that's where silent unity where people have been praying twenty four hours a day, 
seven days a week, mm. every day of the year for 20, 120 years. And I remember the very first time I went to Unity Village, I was just, I mean, I was just in tears as I drove sure. up and moved in, or drove in the driveway. And you it's really a campus home. of buildings, yeah. And I remember when home. I yeah. stepped into that building where Silent Unity is headquartered, yeah. that particular building, the energy was just so thick. It was oh. like, like, you know, the prayer energy and consciousness, it felt like you could slice it like a loaf of bread. Yeah, it, was, it becomes tangible. It was just yeah. tangible. And, oh. you know, and then when I went to seminary and studied to become a minister, I lived there for a couple of years. Oh. And, and finally it came time to leave, you know, to, to go out into the world. And on the one hand, I, but I remember at one point just before I left driving past the campus and looking over at Unity Village and and it is a place that I've always considered so sacred, but then I just finally felt in my heart that, yes, that's a special place, but every place is, but you know, that that energy is everywhere, really. And, um, and that was really a profound moment for me when I, and it still is special to go back there, but to know that, well, maybe it was just my time then to finally take that energy out into the world or to, to share it more broadly. Yeah. But oh my I kinda anyway, that's what came to mind to me when you talked about the uh, the monks in the monastery. It would make sense, right, that we go yeah. to a very holy sacred place and then we get sent forth when we mature yeah. to to disseminate or to expand the light, mm -hmm. right? I yeah. Mean, oh. To be an expression of the light. Yeah. How beautiful yeah. is that? Yeah. So and uh, and so those places exist in every spiritual tradition, and and they are every. You know, I guess we. You know, I feel that we can have that experience everywhere. I can have it going for a walk sure. in the woods, or listening to beautiful music, or being with. You know, brushing our teeth. Brushing our doing. Yeah. yeah, the ordinary things. Yeah. But uh, you know, what's so interesting, also, Mary, is that. Um, of course there would be many languages in one tongue uh -huh. because and really how could these many languages that express the the one true expression mm -hmm. we have a shared condition a human condition mm -hmm. how could it be any otherwise yeah. why would it be that a system of thought would dictate and separate uh -huh. when truly what is in us and between us is completely unified. Yeah. It is only in our minds that we separate this from that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's really true. And, and that is one thing I love about unity is we don't like to refer to ourselves as a denomination, because uh, denomination implies separation, you know. You separate denominations of money or bills or, you know, that focuses on what's read Rather, we like to think of ourselves as trans-denominational, mm -hmm. that it's about sort of building the bridges or finding those things we have in common with each other. And, you know, I just figure, well, you know, God, you know, we have so many different, you know, people are different in different places in their life and in their spiritual journey. Absolutely, and yeah. And so people need different things at different times. And, and so they need different kinds of experiences or for things to be languaged in different ways and and uh, so 
took somebody said we're all going to the same party it's just <laughs> some of us are running and jumping and some are skipping and some are walking or <laughs> some are crawling <laughs> that is true are, you know, that is true wandering in the desert <laughs> but ultimately we're all going the same place you absolutely know? you know i always i always thought about this that um I'm very curious. I hope I don't catch you off guard with this question. But, um, you know, I'm wondering, uh, there's such an emphasis on uh, Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, mm-hmm. which, as a teacher, he was a good teacher. Yeah. But I was wondering, what are some other teachers that you have, maybe even just from the New Testament, <clears throat> and what do they teach you? There's always this, there's the tendency to focus, like, there's the light on Jesus, and but there were many great teachers around him. Throughout. Yeah, oh boy, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, of course, Buddha and Lao Tzu, and from many spiritual traditions, and Moses. And, yeah. you know, I tell you, one person that I've developed a great <clears throat> uh, fascination with over the years is Paul, the Apostle Paul. Oh, Paul. You know, and, yeah. and I love one author writes about him, you know, Paul is both appalling and appealing uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that he he said a lot of wonderful wonderful things and did a lot of wonderful things and he also you know said some pretty appalling things you know it's you know many people cite references that he said you know to just to justify slavery or justify oppression against gay people and some of the things that we most dislike sure, <laughs> as of you know progressive Christians come from Paul <laughs> yeah. but then he said so many great things and as as a human being who is awake, that is appalling to anyone. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who is awake, yeah. who knows themselves. Yeah, yeah, you know. But I just, um, but you know, it. You know, we can sort of think that. I can see, you know. Aspects of myself and every character in the Bible, and that's what metaphysical inter- interpretation is really about, and. And really, as I've studied Paul's life, it actually really fascinates me, the contrast between Paul and Jesus. Because Jesus, in his whole lifetime, we don't think he ever traveled more than maybe 100 miles from his birthplace. Oh. And, and, and we don't have anything written down by Jesus. You know, all, the only reference we know is he, it says one time in one of the Gospels he wrote something in the sand. You know? But there are no letters or anything. Oh. You know, and there's, whereas Paul traveled thousands and thousands of miles, you know, and, and many people feel that Christianity did, Christianity exists today because of Paul more than because of Jesus. You yeah, know? yeah, of and, and of course the mode of travel back then, you know, he used the most modern form of transportation and communication they had at the time, you know, boats and foot and oh, on yeah. donkey and writing letters. You know, he was a prolific writer. And wow. All of the, you know, half of the New Testament are letters, you know, many of which are attributed to Paul. And but he kept and he, he kept moving a lot. You know, he moved from town to town to town. And one time, um, you know, and, and his ministry spanned like forty years. Uh-huh. You know, Jesus three years. So you know, but and one of the things that fascinates me about Paul is he kept having to move from town. He'd go one place and he'd talk or preach or for a while, and and then he'd have to move on. And there were usually one of three reasons why he moved on from one, and we can all think about that for ourselves when we move on from one experience to another. Sometimes he moved on 
because he was being stoned and yeah. he had to move on to save his life, you know, to get out of town, yes. to get out of Dodge, to, to live to preach another day, you know. And, and then sometimes he moved on just because he had a vision. You know, he walked yeah. up in the middle of the night and he had a vision, I'm supposed to go now to, mm -hmm. to Corinth or I'm supposed to go to another, you know. And then sometimes he just moved on because his message fell on deaf ears, you know. Yeah. He was preaching and nobody was interested, so... Preaching to the stones. You know, and I felt like, well, sometimes in our own lives I have to make change in my life, either because I'm in pain and just, come, you know, we change, relate, get out of a relationship because it's uncomfortable or, or uh, you know, uh, a job or living situation. People move because it's really uncomfortable, and that's why Paul... Or sometimes we move because we have a vision of something better we want to move towards. Absolutely. Wow. Or sometimes we change just because Things are flat, you know. We're not flat, or the very nature of why Jesus wrote in the sand, because yeah. everything is changing. Yeah, nothing yeah. is permanent. Here. So, yeah. so I just see so much about his life. You know, you talked about other great teachers. Yeah. That I just when I look at all the travel that he did and the reasons he kept having to move from town to town, I think. Well, when I look back at my life, every major change has been for one of those reasons. Sure. Either I was uncomfortable and unhappy, or or I had a vision of something I wanted to move toward, or or I just wasn't resonating with the people I was around. I needed to yeah. find something new, and, oh, yeah. you know, and that's true for us today. And that is the amazing thing we're about all yeah. teachers for each other. Yeah, know? we are. How, you know, it's true, Mary. We are all. Truly, I think, more than we are teachers, we are students. Yeah. yeah. Right? This is the way that I, yeah. I've actually said this often and feel it deeply. I never want to be considered a teacher. I only want to be a student. And there'll be mm. times where, because truly, before the one, we were all just his, his students. We mm -hmm. were just his students. Mm -hmm. And he is our teacher. And yeah. uh, so we may take the role of holding hands together in class, right? Uh -huh. But. Uh, yeah. This is a shared experience, Mary, and yeah. there's no mistaking here that there is really no human that is a teacher other than what God designates at, for each one of us mm -hmm. to be in the various roles of the darkest dark and the lightest light. Mm -hmm. It is God's will that we, more than we choose what we will be, we are chosen for what we will be. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, I think it's yeah. true, Mary. I yeah. think it's true. Yeah. yeah. That's been my experience. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, what you're talking about also is, you know, what the Buddhists refer to as the beginner's mind. Yeah. You know, always being open. And uh, and we can even, you know, repeat an experience many times, but always approaching it with a beginner's mind. Yeah. You know, something, some, some gift in it, something new. So I, I feel called. Um, to, I feel called to express this to you. It's really interesting that this has arisen, but I've done a, a massive, a kind of like, uh, I've done a lot of work on myself mm -hmm. to heal. And I know that this is true of all of us. And I'm wondering, what is your take on like, just let's take it from a few different lenses, but uh -huh. forgiveness itself. Yeah. What is it, how do, we, how do we really begin to embody or or mystically forgive ourselves, others, mm -hmm. and be forgiven by God. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, 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 what are your feelings about this? I'm wow, that's a, a wonderful question, and I don't know. I guess the 
thought that came to mind as you were speaking is um, you know, that to really truly forgive, you know, it's being at a place of peace within ourselves, maybe realizing that there's nothing really to be forgiven. Um, and not that terrible things don't happen, or, you know, sometimes people really do some very hurtful and harmful things. Um, but, you know, one of our Unity writers talks about to forgive means to give for, mm. and to give something this, in return for. Can I tell you and, that this resonates yeah. deeply with my experience? Because I think I had a friend uh, who said one time, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, it is in self-forgetting that we find. And this forgiveness is really a forgetting of oneself, one's ego, identity, and psyche uh. for service to you and all that is around me. And so my work in forgiveness really becomes something of eroding or erasing or removing my identity, my ego. And oh. then what am I? Then what am I? And I am, there is nothing to forgive because there is really, in a sense, nothing here. Uh-huh. Nothing that is me, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I didn't come to that conclusion or place by myself. That was our exchange, right? Yeah. And so thank you for that. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're welcome. And, uh, you know, forgiveness is, is part of our spiritual journey, I guess. You know, we all experience sometimes hurts or regrets or disappointments or things that we wish we had handled differently. Um, but it's kind of... It's kind of about sort of making peace with it, yeah. within ourselves, you know, so, so that we can move forward and continue to live with an open heart and mind. Isn't that isn't that what we all are wanting? Yeah, like just to yeah. live in openness. It's just right? sort of to, to to just get to a point where we don't allow whatever has happened or however we perceived what happened sure. to shut us down or to have us hold back from fully engaged in the world. You know? And what, is, what does that mean, fully engaged in the world, other than like fully embodying this moment, right? Yeah, being in the present moment. Just being, beingness, um, being, beingness yeah, itself. Being, yeah. you know, I'm trying to just be present to whatever comes up. Be present to people that present themselves, to situations. Yeah. Letting go of our judgment about whether something is good or bad, or right or wrong, or for us or against us. Do you think we have an inner compass? Oh yeah, of course, yeah. 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 Well, that's what in unity we refer to it as the Christ self, or or higher self, you know, the still small voice, or the Find still small voice. Yeah. My friend once told me that a long time ago. Yeah. That she listens to the still small voice. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, and so it's. I don't know. I suppose an art and a practice to begin to learn to listen to that and to try to. You know, a lot of times that is probably the most commonly asked question: is how do I know? You know, <laughs> if this is divine guidance or if it's mm-hmm. my ego talking or. How do I know, you know, about any decision I'm trying to make? 
you know, and I think we can have some some ways of kind of discerning that a little bit. You know, does it bring you peace versus mm -hmm. does it bring you something unlike peace? And is it for the highest good of all? Or, um, for the benefit the, the benefit of all beings. For the right? benefit of all beings. For the benefit um, of all beings. But I'll tell you, what you say is so true and resonates with my experience in this simple litmus test uh -huh. that if I make a decision and it is for the benefit of all, I feel a subtle good feeling, uh -huh. just that. Nothing, nothing earth-shaking, it's mm -hmm. just a subtle positive feeling. Yeah. When I think about something for myself, that I want or need, that maybe I don't, but I feel I do, or that I'm taking from another, mm -hmm. the opposite happens. Yeah. And it's in, we are embodied in our compass, right? I uh -huh. mean, our body is the compass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's true, that we can, you know, sense it. You know, I think sometimes I think of myself like a human pendulum. You know, sometimes <laughs> people use pendulums to... You show me a yeah, show me a, but you know, we can... My good friend Claire does that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and her yeah, mom Pam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, well, and I think there are more and more people today that are seeking um, Seeking a spiritual experience, you know. Yeah. They are. And so this is very interesting too. How do we grieve? How do we grieve, Mary? Oh. Because there in this world of sorrow and suffering, uh -huh. <clears throat> the backdrop of which is perfection, love and beauty. But we have to get through the sorrow and the suffering in us. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know. What do you what do you what do you feel about that? What do you think? Well, I think it's really important to to be authentic with our feelings. Yeah. You know, to me, the way to grieve is to to just allow yourself to feel the feelings. And you know, the grief we go through many. There are several stages and phases of grief. There's shock and numbness and sadness and anger and abandonment. Mm -hmm. and, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote about these things, and then eventually you get to a place of acceptance, yeah. hopefully. Um, but, and I like um, Brene Brown, who has written a lot of books. She writes about sharing your story with people who have earned the right to hear your story. This is vital. So, this is vital. You know, and yeah. so some people it's not safe to open up to, you know, yeah. or it's just not appropriate to kind of expect to open up and share deeply. But, you know, to find people who you really feel like have earned the right to hear your story, you know, that, and... Uh, I'll, I'll say this about that. You know when you know. And if you don't know, yeah. it's not there. It's not yeah. presenting. Yeah. So it's no judgment, but just finding sure. finding the people that it, where you feel safe, where you can really kind of share what's going on and be authentic. Yeah. People who have maybe sh shared that experience in some way. So they can share their experience, strength, and hope.
So Mary, yeah. Um, so we've laid the groundwork in a very, very kind of circuitous way, right? It's been like a little windy, but like, uh-huh. where are you at right now? Like, what, what, what is arising for you? Oh. Well, you know, gosh, one thing right now that is arising is uh, I have a dog oh. that um, is almost 14 years old. Oh. And, and she's very sick right now, I'm and sorry. we're kind of getting to the point where we're going to need to decide about um, helping her make her transition. You know, and she's helped and, you so much in and her it's 14 just, this years. This is the first time I've ever had a pet, really, oh, yeah. a dog. And uh, yeah. so this is my first time going. Through. Of course, I've lost loved ones and my parents, and yeah. been present to a lot of people passing as a minister, but. This is the first time I've gone through this with a dog. And, oh, yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, Can yeah. I tell you this? My, I had to put down my Isaac, who was a golden, oh. in 2012. Uh-huh. He was 14 also. And my sense of him, he is much more prepared for it than I was. Yeah. And it's much more natural for him than it uh-huh. was for me. And I think... Preparation for that is, is, you know, I mean, that is, that is like mm-hmm. such a pure expression of unconditional love, mm-hmm. what dogs offer, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's a very, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, I still think about, mm-hmm. you know, he's my yeah. puppy, you know, <laughs> he's my puppy, he'll yeah. always be my puppy. Yeah. So that's kind of the my my edge right now of my own spiritual growth and learning is just being oh, present yeah. for Perkins and that's our dog's name Perkins. <laughs> it's a little girl oh. and um, and she's been the love of my life and oh. she's been she is such a wonderful dog. What and kind of dog is she? Married? It's a Boxer Terrier. Oh. Terrier mix. <laughs> you can't help but laugh. And yeah, smile. I know. Yeah. She looks a lot like if you ever saw that movie Benji. Uh-huh. There's a dog, Benji, but I feel so, oh, she looks like Benji, and oh. really a cute dog. So oh. so just, you know, trying to, you know, listen deeply to know when is the right time and how to do this. You know, obviously we're talking to a vet, but just to, to uh, and preparing myself and for this change, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's a saying in Judaism that, uh, the righteous, righteous souls, whether they incarnate as dogs or giraffes uh-huh. or people, righteous souls are even more powerful after their passing than they are even in life. Oh, really? They are not limited by the confines and the limitations of the body, and therefore their goodness is mm. expressed much more freely. Wow, wow. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So I know Isaac looks oh, out over you. me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And your Perkins will look out yeah. over you. Yeah, you know that's what I, you know, I think a lot of people have said too that you know that they understand at soul level, you know, that this is a natural process for them. It's just our our own human sort of attachment, you know, letting go. <laughs> so, ah, so that's one thing that's kind of right up for me right now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. 
This brings me to the next thing that I think is arising for me, and that is meditation. Oh, okay. Does unity have a certain meditation, meditative practice? Mm -hmm. Is it meditation on scripture, meditation in walking, or is it a meditation of self? Hmm. Wow, well that's a great question. And actually meditation is a very important part of our practice. And and we call it... um, um, sitting in the silence, mm. you know. Although, of course, you can. I believe you can meditate. Walking meditations are wonderful. I love to do one. We have a labyrinth out behind our church. That's mm-hmm. another form of walking meditation. Um, but our f- co-founder Charles Fillmore, especially, he talked about. He said, "Gee, there's all these different ideas in the world. Every." Every religion says that they're the one, they're the one right way. And he said, you know, I'm gonna, the way I'm gonna deal with all this babble is go straight to headquarters. There you go. And what he meant by that was sitting in the silence, oh, just my listening, having his own direct experience. Oh. And, and so that's probably our primary form of meditation. And, and it can be like mindfulness, you know, focusing on your breath to get centered and there's kind of five basic steps to to the meditation, you know, relaxation and focus and concentration and realization and then gratitude. And, mm. But it's basically just sitting and waiting in the silence. And, and sometimes it's helpful to read something before you start, you know, whether it's from the Bible or any, any kind of inspirational reading. Um, or to listen to music before, or mm-hmm. guided meditation, or chanting, or sound, or just using a gong, or something, you know. All those things are, are sort of, I just think of as meditation helps, you know, <laughs> things that, um, and just whatever it takes to kind of just, you know, calm yourself, and and then, you know, it's really the mindfulness practice about, you know, every time you notice your mind has wandered, come back to center. So it, I find it helps a lot to use some kind of mantra mm-hmm. or affirmation, and even mm-hmm. if it's be peace, peace be still, yeah. something. One word, love. Oh, you know. that's or an image, or having a picture in front of you. Sure. People use lots of different things. You know, it's funny. <clears throat> Questions themselves are have implicit in them a need to return to something. It is the mind wandering and oh. bringing it back. Uh-huh. Do you feel like I think that like yeah. that there is a quietness beyond thought? Huh. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very much true. Kind of, I, I think of it as like a still point. Mm. And sometimes that's the word I focus on, just stillness, still point. experience or a feeling beyond words. Many people are uncomfortable with silence, Mary. Mm -hmm. Do you find this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I guess that's why our world is always so busy, you know, we're so inundated with noise and sound and radios and yeah but, uh, 
I have a friend that leads a meditation group and he calls it Friends of the Silence. Uh-huh. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting that <clears throat> what in psychology some call the shadow self or the unconscious, uh-huh. uh, it thrives on noise, it thrives on mm-hmm. past, future, right? Mm-hmm. I found this in my own explorations of self that um, the deeper I go into my past, the more I worry about the future, right? Mm-hmm. It's really very, it's a very exacting kind of science or mathematics. Mm-hmm. And the deeper you go into your sorrow, is really like, it can throw you ways, trajectories, and, and places that are terrifying. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I want to say is that uh, I really feel through many, many years, mm-hmm. maybe decades of work, you come out of that in a way that is clear. And when you are clear, you recognize not only that you are light, but that there is not a thing on this earth that can happen to you that can diminish that light. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, what we are cannot be diminished, but we can have the illusion of the experience of being diminished. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, how about for you and your meditation practice or spiritual practice? What have you found works? Or you know, it's really for since about I read a book called The Snow Leopard by Peter Matheson, and about, it got sent to me, and those who know me well <clears throat> don't want to hear it. <laughs> because they're like, oh God, here we go again. <laughs> oh, okay. The snow leopard. But I talk about it, and I have spoken about it, because it was a seminal work in my life. Oh. That, um, and Peter Matheson was a student of Zen Buddhism, uh-huh. who lost his wife, Deborah Love, to cancer. And then went on a journey with a geologist, George uh-huh. Schaller, uh-huh. and through uh, through uh, the mountains of Nepal and Tibet. Uh-huh. And uh, it's a beautiful book. And it was in the '70s, and it won the National Book Club Award. Uh-huh. But um, Matheson was a curious guy. I actually saw him speak in Pittsburgh, where he autographed a copy. And when he looked up at me. Uh, it was like a. It was a presence that was like. So focused and concentrated, but free. Hmm. And he was. Uh, a free, he seemed pretty free to me as a person, open. Wow. Yeah. And so that Zen has always. <coughs> Zen has always been. Uh, and Zen being just literally means meditation. Mm-hmm. It's dhyana, the Sanskrit dhyana, oh, the Japanese okay. chan, and then when it went, or the Chinese chan, mm-hmm. and then uh, came to Japan. It was Zen, mm-hmm. and uh, that word is literally just meditation. Oh, okay. So uh, there are practices which I follow, which are just counting the breaths. Uh huh. And for as long as I can, I do that. Wow, great! <laughs> 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 oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. 
So we, we spoke a lot about the teachers, different teachers, uh -huh. Paul and other people, Buddha, Lao Tzu. Um, I was wondering if we could turn our attention to the one. Okay. Uh, to headquarters, as you say. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, 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 you know, and this is one of the things we um, remind people of a lot that, you know, the, the one is not a man up in the sky or a person in the cloud, you know, that it's, it's an energy and a presence. And so we try to be kind of mindful of our language when we pray, mm. you know, that when you pray, dear loving Mother, Father, God, it kind of sounds like you're talking to somebody, like a person as opposed to connecting with an energy or presence. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so, you know, really I think language is a little bit limiting to try to describe an experience sometime. But it's, um, so prayer isn't so much talking to someone, but it's Change. It's not to try to change something, but it, we think of prayer is to try to change ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of get into a place of openness and receptivity so that we can allow a greater experience of that oneness. And then it may come through us as a feeling of peace or harmony. It may come through us as a thought, as a divine idea of something we're meant to do. How quiet can you get, Mary? How quiet can you get? <laughs> oh gosh, it's a, it's a well that is kind of, in a sense, bottomless, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 I mean, the one that creates this place. The one that creates this place. The supreme, right? Mm -hmm. I think is a good way for me to. Yeah. I don't know what to say about it other than mm -hmm. what, what can you say, really? You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think of. Think of it as like an energy, a vibration, a feel, feeling that we yeah. can sense. And people have different sort of preferred modes of experience, you know, natural, you know, some people are more kinesthetic, they feel things. People are more auditory, they hear something. Or some people are more visual, they will see colors or images of something. And other people will could meditate for an hour and they say, I didn't see anything, <laughs> nothing there. Somebody else describes something they describe. You know, but we experience it differently, you know. Yeah. And it's all good. <laughs> and it's good. Yeah. It, is, it transcends even that. And yeah. it's not going the other way. It's just beyond good. Yeah. yeah. It's just beyond good. <laughs> the other thing that, that arose um, was... Uh, I wonder 
talk about this, and I don't, I don't like the way that the Torah or the Bible phrases this, but it says, male and female, he created them. And I think it's been a source of a great kind of like dissonance or disharmony with people. Mm-hmm. But let's strip away, let's strip away, because I think it's vital to do it, is uh, the Platonic idea of one soul halved. You, you know, this, mm-hmm. this notion that uh, in the Torah it is taught mm-hmm. that there is a soul. Mm-hmm. And God touches and severs it. For the two halves to descend in this world, to come together, and it's, this, it's, it's, it's uh, the soul with two faces. The faces are facing outward. And in God's great compassion, he severs the soul so they may meet face to face in this world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, we think metaphysically um, in the Bible that men represent our thinking nature uh, and female characters represent our feeling nature. And we all have both the masculine and the feminine. We do. And we the do. thinking and the feeling nature within all of us. Absolutely. So it's not about people two different groups of people. At it's all. It's about our oneness. Everyone has thinking and a feeling nature. Oh my God. And so we both have masculine and feminine in us. Absolutely. Whether you're in a female body or a male body, and others, your masculine nature, which is tends to be more about assertive and doing things and getting things done. And, the feminine nature within everyone is the receptive yeah. part of us. That is, and um, they say they say in Judaism. Right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just wanted to interject. This yeah, way. in Judaism they say the same thing. They say that uh, men men kind of tend to shape or create uh-huh. the world to, to mold the world. Women appreciate it as it is, and then these <laughs> two things together. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, but it's the same as what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt. Though. Oh no, that's fine. It, and, and so we all have those qualities within us, or those capabilities, and sometimes one side's strengthened more than another, or expresses more, but, yeah. I know I have a creative writing professor who, oh. um, he, he, said, he said to me, and I, had, I was down there a long time ago, and he said, uh, Joel, I remember when I discovered my sweet sister within. You know, <laughs> which is this kind of like very beautiful openness about the nature oh. of like spirit and mm-hmm. like there is we are blended we are mm-hmm. blended mm-hmm. you know and we want to we want to carve up or tend to carve up we don't want to but we do we tend to carve up into this is masculine and this is feminine but the beauty of the mystical life really tends to mm-hmm. be a falling away of black and white into a beautiful, beautiful shade of gray. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So sometimes the Tibetan monks come, right? Yes, yes. And uh, although they're not coming this summer, unfortunately, um, we usually get them when they're going down to Lilydale, and uh-huh. they come the weekend before, the weekend after. And I, I guess they're not scheduled for Lilydale this year, oh. but they will be back next year, 2017. That's so, exciting. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. we've probably hosted them eight or ten years in a row, or uh, out of the last 12 years. So it's been a big part of 
part of our experience, our ministry, and you know, yeah, we love they are, doing it. They are beautiful. So, they are beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know you gave, you offered, you had on the yeah, table outside. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a kind of a scarf that the uh -huh. monks, um, was blessed by the monks. And they, um, when the monks come, different people in our community host them, put them up in their homes for a couple overnights oh. while they're here. And then they usually give that scarf to the people that have hosted the families. So for some reason, Bill had realized he had a couple extra and... And he wanted to put them out for people to, anybody that would like one, yeah. So and I it's thought, a little yeah. pouch that they... That's gorgeous, yeah. the pouch. Isn't it? Yeah, that's really great. Oh my goodness, it's yeah. maroon and gold embroidery. Beautiful. So, good. I'm really glad you saw that. Oh my goodness. I felt yeah. called to it, and I know it's going to go someplace that belongs okay. to me. So. Good. Yeah, yeah, it's been a great honor to be able to host the monks. And yeah, so... I bet they love this place. They do, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's funny, every year there's a few that are the same and then different ones. You know, I think they, they come here from t from India, you know, where their monastery is, for about 12 months and they oh. travel around and then they get rotated to go back and different ones come. And so, uh, but we, yeah, we love having them here. Okay. Let's see. Is that about? Well, I don't know. Material or? How are you feeling? I just want to check yeah. the time. Yeah, like that's probably. I, I feel. You feel good? Yeah. We covered such a wonderful amount of stuff, and we covered it just right. I Is feel. that okay? Good. I think so. Just something so, to work with. Yeah. So, Mary, in closing, I just want to say a couple things. Um, uh, you know. It's interesting that uh, even when we do something anonymously, when we pray for people anonymously, uh -huh. uh, it returns to us in a way even with a more profound kind of uh, effect. And we get caught off guard because we were so selfless uh -huh. in our expression of things. Uh -huh. Uh, and the Snow Leopard Matheson sat across from his wife, Deborah Love, before she passed away. In the story, in the book, it was a natural oh, okay. experience. And uh, he began uh, chanting. Oh. And uh, he'd been in meditation a long time prior. And he, he was so clear um, when he saw her in the bathroom the day before. She, she, he, had a, he had a foreboding of her death. Wow. And when he sat across from her, it just happened that he sat across from her in this mm -hmm. meditation, he chanted with such fury for her, out of a great compassion mm -hmm. for her, that something in him broke open. Mm -hmm. A kind of like crack in the intellect and psyche. <laughs> and all he described was that there was this smile, right? Wow. And uh, it began to engulf the room, this smile. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, he wanted to inform the smile about Dee, who he called his wife Dee, mm -hmm. and her cancer. But he knew it was not needed. Mm -hmm. All was, will be, and is known. Mm -hmm. And so he just enjoyed the presence of the smile. Wow, yeah. And so that was so beautiful. And I feel like uh, it was through that, like, 
selfless, selfless, selfless chanting that uh, Matheson was touched in that way. And so uh, I just want to say thank you so much, Mary, for oh, spending yeah. time with me. Is there anything in closing that you'd like to offer or say or that comes to mind? Oh. Not that I can think of right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I guess I feel complete. Yeah, yeah. Is there a closing prayer that you'd like to offer? Okay, sure, yeah. Yeah, why don't we just, just give thanks for this time together. That we, we bless your work, Joel, and your ministry in the world, and all the ways that you touch people's lives with this radio program, and with your work, and in so many ways. We see you going forth as a light in the world, letting your light shine even more brightly. And may all that you do be a blessing and return to you a hundredfold. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Mary, you are so okay. sweet. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, you got to get going. I